Our reading this morning is found in Genesis chapter 39. And if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to follow along with me. If you don't yet have one, we would love to send you home with one today. You'll find them on the tables just through the doors in the vestibule. You can feel free to pick one up as you leave, or you can slip out and grab one now. Again, Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate." Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife." How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Joseph said no. One of the most helpful books I've read in the past few years uh, is a book uh, called Dangerous Calling by by Paul Tripp. It's written written for pastors to help pastors because being a pastor, people, is a weird job, okay? Like, 
It's super weird, let me just tell you, okay? Uh, and, and it's dangerous, right? We all, we all know stories, too many of them, uh, of pastors who start off with, with great expectations and end in a flaming ball of destruction, right? I mean, I don't remember a lot of Sundays growing up, but I remember the Sunday, this is before my family attended Christ's community, but I remember the Sunday when a pastor stood up before the congregation and confessed that he had tried to have sex with a, another congregation member. Like, I remember that Sunday, right? Of course you do. And, and so this, this book has, has meant a lot to me. Nearly all of our pastors across uh, campuses have, have read this, have discussed it together. It's really, really helpful. And, and I pulled it out a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I just noticed the, the back. On the back, five pastors recommend it. You know how, how people do on the back of books, right? It's like, this is the best book ever. You've got to read this book. Like, it'll save your integrity. Like, do, like, read this book, etc. But as I scanned over the names, I felt sick to my stomach. I mean, this, this book was published just seven years ago. Seven years, that's it. And of the five on the back, one is no longer a Christian. One was in the news for ridiculous abuses of power. And one had an affair. Like, I had to Google the other two just to make sure they were okay, right? I mean, think about that. Three out of five, seven years. And these, these three, like, these are people that, like, I've read books by them. I've, I've been to conferences where they spoke to massive audiences. They led large and successful churches. And I don't say any of this to throw stones at them. Because I know it could be me. I know it could be any one of us in this room. Because it doesn't matter how successful you look. I mean, you, look, you all look great, by the way. Good for you. Who cares? Because the reality is, success without integrity is still failure. Success without integrity is still failure. And every one of us in this room is at risk. And the reality is, if you don't think you're at risk, you are at risk the most. And yet, Joseph didn't cave. I mean, think about that. Like, Joseph actually says no in this moment. He had every reason to give in, but he doesn't. So how? how like, like, what's his secret? How did he do it? I'm like, I need to know because I don't want to sabotage my family. I don't want to sabotage this church. I don't want to sabotage my life. And I know, like, you don't want to either, right? And so what do we need to learn from Joseph's life? Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into the story. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. God, we, we need your help. Convict us of sin. Help us to see our own susceptibilities. And help us know where our choices are taking us. And where we need to change, Holy Spirit, would you convict us deeply of our sin and give us hope and the forgiveness we have through Jesus. Change us, we pray. Amen. Well, if you haven't already, turn to, to Genesis 39. And if, if you're here last week, okay, so like Joseph's family wins the award for like family of the year, right? I mean, Joseph's dad, Jacob, he's been such a role model, okay? So he has two wives and two concubines. Think of them as like extra wives, okay? And a whole lot of kids. 
And, and let, me, let me even just be clear for a second. Like polygamy was a normal part of their culture, but the Bible always represents it as a terrible idea, okay? Like don't, don't, be, don't kid yourself. Like the Bible's not for this. They, every time it comes up, it's like, this is a disaster. Don't do this. And like just to prove how awful it is, You've got this family, four sets of kids and four sister wives, and it's awful. And Jacob plays favorites. And so Joseph, we said last week, right, he's been basically walking around with this t-shirt on, right? Super helpful. It's great. This, This coat of many colors. And so, of course, all of his brothers hate him. Like, they are consumed with envy, and so they make plans to murder him. But, you know, they they don't want to go through with that. So instead, they just sell him into slavery, Right? It's a great family, isn't it? I think your family's got problems. And so when our story begins, like if I were Joseph at this moment, I would be angry with my parents, I would be angry with my siblings, and I would be angry with God. I mean, you're a slave now. Who, Who cares about your integrity? Like, what are you hanging on for, Joseph? But verse two, the Lord was with Joseph, And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hand. So God was with Joseph, and as a result, everything Joseph touches turns to awesome, right? We'll see that in these stories over and over again. And he's, think about, like, he's successful even there. I mean, think about that. He works faithfully even in the very worst of circumstances, like so much so that his Egyptian boss, Potiphar, recognizes Yahweh in him. Like he says that, like Joseph, there's, there's something different about you. Like already we see his integrity. And so he's promoted. He kind of works his way up in, in this uh, Potiphar's house and he's like super good looking. I love that Moses includes that in case you were wondering. He's really, like picture him maybe like, you know, actually just don't picture him, okay? Um, but he'd probably be a good fit for like The Bachelor or something like that, okay? So, so he's, he's really good looking and Potiphar's wife notices. And she keeps trying to seduce Joseph, but he refuses. Now, just a quick note here. Let's, let's be frank, okay? This is a very rare story because so often men are the sexual predators, right? We know that. In fact, in the previous chapter, it's Judah, Joseph's brother, who goes out prowling for sexual sin. He takes advantage of his own daughter-in-law, confusing her for a prostitute. It's disgusting, right? That's the chapter just before this one. Judah, Judah goes out looking for sin, but by contrast, sin comes looking for Joseph. And given Joseph's family history, like it's shocking, isn't it, that he doesn't give in? Besides, I mean, doesn't he deserve a little comfort? Hasn't he earned a little pleasure? What kind of man refuses? One who knows success without integrity is still failure. Sin comes prowling for him And we also live in a world in which sexual sin is on the prowl for us, right? In fact, here's the first lesson from the story. I've got five of them today, by the way. Sorry, just the way it worked out. Five five lessons for us. The first one, hang in there, you'll get it. First, 
Integrity is constantly at risk in a sexualized world. We need, we, need, we need to keep that in mind, okay? This is really, really important. Like, constantly at risk in their world and ours. And this, this is where, like, culturally, we're really not that different from them. I mean, seriously, because, like, people, people today often say, like, how progressive we are as a culture when it comes to sex, right? But it's, it's actually the opposite, if you think about it. We've simply returned to the sexualized world of the ancient past where exploitation, abuse, and a world without limits rules the day. And really, a culture that says you should follow your sexual desires, whatever they are, like a culture that says that is actually more old-fashioned than the Bible. Like we're hardly progressive with our sexual ethic today. And we're so confused. Because, because we've, we've said as a culture, like, you can do whatever you want. There are no rules. Just don't go too far. Like, our, our culture baits us right to the edge and then shames us to death the moment we cross the line. Right? Have sex with anyone you want. Make it your ultimate quest. Build your life upon it. And then we're surprised by people like Epstein or the Me Too movement Date rape, human trafficking, child abuse, abortion, pornography addiction, broken marriages, broken homes, broken children. I mean, it's horrendous what we've done to ourselves. Not, not to mention the depression, suicide, eating disorders, so much insecurity and confusion. Wow, people, we're, we're doing real good, right? Because we've, we've removed the rules, and yet we're shocked by the abuses, We've said anything goes, and then we, we can't fathom when abuse and exploitation happen. Sex is free these days, but at what cost? We have so enjoyed our freedom, and yet even in this room, how many of us are slaves to sexual sin? And you, you, may, not, you may not be a Christian. You may think the Christian sexual ethic is ridiculous. But do you really think the alternative is working? Do you, do you really think we're happier now? Could it be maybe that God had a better idea? But again, this is the world that we find ourselves living in, right? Like Joseph. A world in which sexual sin is on the prowl for you. Like, don't mistake that. Are you alert to the temptations around you? Do you see the places in which your integrity is at risk? Because success without integrity is still failure. Okay, so Joseph refuses. And he had every, every reason to say yes, right? Verse eight. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. And so this is interesting to me, as he's explaining to Potiphar's wife why this is a, a terrible idea. Like first he says, I, can't, I couldn't possibly do this to your husband. He trusts me too much, right? I, I can't ruin your family is what he's getting at. But, but then, at the end, he switches his argument. First, it's all about Potiphar and what this is going to do to you all, right, and this family. But then it's really about God. Look how he continues. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? 
And this, is, this is really important because sin is always both horizontal and vertical. Like it, it affects both, both planes for us. It's, it's an attack on another human, but it's also an attack on God and even a, an attack on our, on our own selves. Which leads to the second lesson. Integrity requires we see sin for what it really is. Like if you want what Joseph had, you have to acknowledge sin for, for what it is, both horizontal and vertical. But typically, right, we, when we think of sin, like we typically say, well, it's like eating that sinful chocolate cake, right? It's just like a guilty pleasure or a small mistake. It's, it's, not, that, it's not that big of a deal. But I think Francis Spufford has about the best definition of sin I've ever read. I have to tweak it a little bit so I don't get fired reading it in church. Uh, but he, he defines sin as the human propensity to mess things up. I love that. And he goes on, he says, because what we're talking about here when it comes to sin is not just our tendency to lurch and stumble and screw up by accident. Like, that's what we say. It's like, well, I made a mistake. No, it's not just that. Like, our passive role as agents of entropy, it is our active inclination to break stuff. Stuff here, including moods, promises, relationships we care about, and our own well-being and other people's. And, and Joseph, like Joseph knows this could wreck a family. You've seen it wreck families, haven't you? That it even, it even wrecks ourselves, that sin, in some strange way, sin is a self-inflicted wound. And even worse, Joseph says, it is against God. It is an attack on him. And think about this in the context of Genesis. We've been studying Genesis for a long time together. Genesis is a story about how from the very beginning, we humans set off on a quest to define good and evil for ourselves. Right? Even the name of the tree in the garden, the knowledge of good and evil. And it's a disaster. Like every story we've looked at. But here with Joseph, God defines what's good and evil. He sees sin for what it really is and chooses the better way because success without integrity is still failure. So, so we, he refuses, right? Go back to the story. And, and not just refuses, it's, it's a little bit comical, right? He runs away naked, basically, right? So daily she propositions him and daily he says no. In verse 11, but one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was in there, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. This is an important picture here because you can't just acknowledge that something is wrong. Wow, I really shouldn't do that. You also have to say no. That's, a, that's the third thing. Integrity means actually being able to say no to the things that you may really, really want. And I realize that, that probably sounds obvious to some of us in this room. Well, of course you have to say no, but like, it's the opposite of everything we hear. In fact, I mean, just again, culturally, saying no to your desires, like it's considered harmful in our culture. You can't say no. It's dangerous. Like, it's repressive. Like, if, if it's in you, you have to give into it, right? You've got to be true to yourself. 
You have to listen to your desires, which, which of course actually enslaves us to them. But here's the thing. Like of all the creatures God made, humans are the only ones with the ability to say no, morally. Like part of what makes us human is that you don't have to give in to your desires. A dog has to sniff that other dog's butt. You don't, right? I mean, it's what sets us apart. Like, you have the ability to actually think about your desires and figure out what, which ones are good for me that I need to pursue and which ones will destroy me if I give myself to them. Like, that's a, that's a unique privilege of humanity that we can say no. And what's so powerful in the story is that Joseph doesn't just say no, right? He runs. Like, he can't get out of there fast enough. Is that what we do when we're tempted? You know, go, go through the last time in your head, right? No, I don't think it is. Not most of us. We flirt with it. We, we dance right on the edge, right? We snuggle up with it. I'll be fine. And Joseph runs. I heard a sermon back in college. Uh, it's one I just, I don't think I'll ever forget. Um, and the pastor was talking about how, like, with temptation, like, we just don't take it very seriously. And, and he kind of gave this, this list of examples and basically said, like, if you, if you are at risk of having an affair, you need to run. And then he spelled it out more specifically. He said, like, if, if it's with a neighbor, like, move. Sell your house. Move. Like, if, it, if it's at work, quit your job. If you, if you have to move across the country or move to another country, do it quick. And I, I know, like, like, hearing that sounds so extreme, doesn't it? But doesn't Jesus say, better to gouge out your eye? Run. Maybe you shouldn't own a smartphone or have a Netflix account or be on Facebook Maybe that, maybe that relationship is just a little bit too much. What are you willing to do to say no? Because success without integrity is still failure. Now, thankfully for Joseph, everything turns out great, right? Yeah, about that. Well, he does the right thing, okay? He resists temptation. Good for you, Joseph. You know, you can almost see God applauding from heaven as he gets punished for it anyway. So she, she makes up a story, right, Potiphar's wife. See, I've got his clothes, right? He's guilty. Interestingly enough, this is the second story in a row in which Joseph is stripped of his clothes and lied about. It's an interesting little pattern happening. And, and besides, she says, he's a Hebrew like, you know you can't trust Hebrews. Like, twice, actually, she points this out. I mean, the reality is, like, racism goes back a long way, people. And how often today are innocent lives taken or imprisoned because of racial stereotypes? It happened to Joseph. It happens today. God forgive us. And Joseph is punished for his integrity. So here's 
probably my least favorite lesson from this story, number four, integrity may cost you everything. It might. Sometimes doing the right thing is the worst. If you don't cut corners at work, you, you might not get that promotion. If you're unwilling to have sex outside of marriage, you might have a really difficult time finding a date. If you don't cheat on that test at school, it very well may affect your grades. And if Joseph had only slept with her, he could have maybe avoided years in prison. But instead, he has his integrity, which shockingly is worth so much more to him, isn't it? Verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. And really, that's gonna be our sermon next week, right? But think about it. Integrity cost Joseph everything. And yet somehow, mysteriously, God continues to use it as his place of greatest success in Joseph's life. And don't, don't miss this. It's not, it's not that integrity always leads to success. It'd be great if that's the way it worked, right? It doesn't always work that way. It's that integrity itself is success. That it is good in and of itself, even if nothing good ever happens. And, and, and for Joseph, I mean, we're gonna see that next week. Had he not been thrown in prison, he would have never worked for Pharaoh, and had he never worked for Pharaoh, he would have never had the opportunity to save the entire people of Israel from this famine that's, that's coming in this story. I know, spoiler alert, right? But betrayal, slavery, prison, all of that leads to a place where God uses Joseph to rescue his people. But he doesn't know that yet. Right now he knows he's in jail. And that his integrity cost him everything but gained him so much more. We don't know what's going to happen with our integrity. Some of us may have a long road. There may be excruciating days ahead. You may never experience the rewards this side of heaven. And yet, even in the moment for Joseph, like as, as excruciating as it must have been, had, had, Joseph, had he given in, had he avoided prison, would he have ever known these words? Did you see those again? But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. In church, because of Jesus, those words belong to us. The Lord was with him, even in the pit. Which means, people, integrity isn't isn't just right, isn't just better. It's also possible. Do you believe that? This is our, this is our last thing. Integrity is possible because God is with you. 
God is with you, with you, just like, just like with Joseph. If you're, if you're a Christian, God lives inside you by his spirit. Not, not only is there forgiveness for our failures, and praise Jesus, we need those, don't we? We need forgiveness. But the same spirit that empowered Jesus to resist temptation and the same spirit that powerfully raised Jesus from the dead, that same spirit lives within all who believe. He is with you and he is for you and you don't have to give in. Like this, this is how Joseph resisted. It's how you can't see. You, you're not a slave anymore. Like you have been set free to follow God for your good, for the good of those around you. Success without integrity is still failure. But integrity with Jesus is the very best life. And so let me just end with this. Where is your integrity at risk? And what are you going to do about it? Like, are you even aware of the dangers around you and within you? Your susceptibilities, your temptations. Like, do you recognize what's, what's at stake or the path that you're currently on? Where, where is it taking you? And I realize probably for, for many of us here, the first step is actually repentance because you've already blown it, right? I have too. I know, I know what that's like. And maybe, maybe you sit here and you think, well, I, it's too late, right? Or maybe, maybe some of you, you even feel trapped right now. You're overwhelmed with shame. Living a double life and you can't see the way out. I am pleading with you for your own good. Please come into the light. The pain of confession is so much better than the pain of hiding. You don't have to hide anymore. And confession is the first, repentance, this is the first step to being made whole once again. Confess to God, confess to somebody else. I mean, don't try to fight temptation alone and begin again. Jesus offers you forgiveness, power, and freedom. Others of us here are right on the edge. Like whether you recognize it or not, you're, you're walking that tightrope and you just keep inching closer and closer and closer. You don't want to go that way. Like let me, let me plead with you. I, I've seen it too many times. It destroys everything and there's no going back sometimes. While you still can, Run. And for all of us, let us go now to the table of his steadfast love. Because this, this table is the place where he is most tangibly with us, right? And we, we need his presence, just as Joseph had his presence, even in the pit. And it's, it's here that we take his body and his blood, his, his forgiveness, his power, his presence, and we eat them. And we take him with us. And by his spirit, he will never leave us. But you know, before we do that, I want to just pause. Let's, let's take a minute. We're going to leave this question up. Let's, let's reflect on this. Pray. Ask God to show you your blind spots, show you your need. Maybe take this time to spend, to do some repentance work. Now let's pray to him now, and then I'll pray in just a moment. Let's pray together quietly.
Father, forgive us. God, I just even feel in a room this size, way too many of us are slaves. So would you break the power of sin in our lives and set us free? God, I pray that you would show us our sins, show us our susceptibilities, our weaknesses. God, and may we together as your people, may we hate our sin and, and love your path. And Holy Spirit, would you do that work within us? Would you call us to yourself? Would you free us from the shame? Help us to, to be able to confess to one another and to find the freedom that you promise us through the cross. And God, I pray that even as we come to this table, as we symbolically eat this meal, this, this symbol of your presence, God, would you even, even in this moment, by the power of Jesus, would you break the chains that we feel? Meet with us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.